this is Dr. Osesa Livar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And, uh, you know, I never um, expected, one, the kind of growth that I've seen with the podcast. I've never anticipated who I'd, who I would have on the podcast. I think uh, beyond an initial sort of small group of, of folks. And, and so the amazing thing, the fun thing about the podcast is I'm always paying attention through social media and other other just formats of what people are doing. And so my guest today, I think I, I maybe first met my guest today when he was very, very young. And I went to school with his mother, went to high, uh, elementary, middle school, I think middle school, high school with his mother. And I've, I've seen I've seen his journey and it is just an amazing journey. And I thought, you know what? I, I want to hear his story because, because I was following from afar. And so I'd love to get a, a just a, a more a personal view of what that journey was like. So Roly, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners out there? Absolutely. Yes. No, first off, thank you so much for providing this platform. Um, like I was mentioning, I think it's very important to kind of highlight those people that are products of the Valley and have gone on to do some amazing things and have, have had amazing impact. So uh, kudos to you for, for doing this and, and for providing this platform. But uh, but yes, to all the listeners, uh, pleasure to be here. My name is Roly Lozano. Um, I'm originally from Ed Couch, also Texas, so small town, deep South Texas, but um, uh, really excited to be on this podcast and kind of talk about my journey through college and and um, through my career. And hopefully some, some of my story can be of help to some of you listeners as well, too. So just really excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you. Awesome. Roly, well, let's get into it. All right. So the first question I ask all of my guests is if you had to identify a starting point for your educational journey, what would that starting point be for you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And uh, one that I have to say I anticipated because I did some research and listened to some of the podcasts. And it was definitely one that I really had to think about because honestly, I don't think I've ever really been asked that question. Um, and I come from a family who's really into education and really realizes the importance and the impact of education. Um, so I kind of always grew up with college in my mind and college in the back of my mind. And it was always kind of an expectation and a plan instead of a goal for me. Um, so that's why I was trying to like think back and trying to see when was like my first um, exposure to college and things like that. And I have a really, really early memory. Um, one of my very first memories actually was um, attending a college class with my mom. Um, so I, she was doing her master's program when um, I was about seven or eight years old. And um, of course she was doing night classes and sometimes she just wouldn't be able to find a babysitter to look after me. And so um, she spoke to her professor and they were really uh, accommodating and they said, whatever you have to do to, to get your degree. And so someday she would have to take me into those college classes. And I just remember just sitting there and being like such a small little kid with all these grown grown people that are doing great things. And, um, and really, I'd have to say that's where I like first got my taste of, of college. And um, again, like I mentioned, my mom and my parents and my family have always kind of instilled that in me. And so, um, so going through that and realizing like the struggles that my mom went through as being uh, having a full time job, as well as being a mother and doing her master's program at the same time, you know, I thought of that and, and realized if she could do it, so could I. Um, and so that's really where I was first introduced into like my, edu my educational journey. I love that. And I, I, 
I can already see, I can envision, right? Your mom in this classroom and, um, and, and, and I, I can envision for me, it's so easy to envision because, you know, I taught at the university still do. And, mm-hmm. and I've had, I've had students that like mothers that brought their kids along and, and I was always like, yes, absolutely. Bring them in, you know, whatever we can do, right. To accommodate you, to help you on your journey. So I, I love that. And I love that, that you got to see and, and kind of appreciate that you know, her journey and, you know, in that early on, you get those messaging, you get that, you know, college is important. What were your early aspirations? I mean, when we're kids, it's always like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. What did, what did uh, you want to be? And that's a great question because it's completely different from what I do now. <laughs> um, but I actually grew up wanting to be a veterinarian. Um, that was like my original goal. That was something that I knew very early on that I always just had a knack and, and a, an inclination towards animals and just always cared about them and loved all types of animals. And growing up, I didn't do sports in school, but I did show um, steers, pigs, uh, heifers and through FFA and 4-H programs. Um, and so that's where I was really introduced into that that side of it. Um, but then during high school, I started shadowing um, veterinarians and quickly realized that it probably wasn't a field for me. Uh, just I knew it was difficult de- dealing with families that are losing their, you know, their 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 pets and their loved ones. Um, and so kind of dealing with all those emotions as well as with surgeries and just seeing animals always in a bad state was kind of what drew me away from that. But I really appreciate that I learned that early on instead of going through vet school and going through everything um, before that. Um, so that was originally my my goal and um, and what my aspiration was to become. Um, but like like a lot of people on your podcast too, their 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 journey changes and life takes them in different directions. But I'm always grateful and I'm I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason and that everyone is on their own path and that everything is is meant to be. So. Um, I'm really grateful in the position that I'm in right now um, and still love animals, still do as much as I can. I have a dog with me right now behind me. So, um, so yeah, that's, that, that was my original plan, but, uh, but yeah, I guess things, things happen, life happens and steers you in a different direction where you're meant to be. If I may ask, how old were you when you realized, you know what, this is tough and, and, and maybe it's something that, that I might not be comfortable doing. Do you remember yeah. how old you were? Yeah, absolutely. So I was fortunate enough to um, go to a high school that um, for those of you in the Valley, it's it's Med High, um, it's part of the South Texas ISD school district. Um, so it is a charter school that's based mainly on health professions. Um, so part of their senior program, they send some students out to shadow different doctors and different uh, hospitals and clinics. So that's when I first got my exposure into the real world behind veterinary medicine, kind of realized that it wasn't for me. So although I was fortunate enough to go to high school, that kind of gave me that platform I think that's that's one piece of advice that I would give to anyone that's early on in their journey, kind of trying to figure out what's their best path or what is most their their biggest passion is to really um, put yourself in there and 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 find those opportunities to shadow and um, and to get more opportunity to learn exactly what the field is like and what the profession is like before giving it your all. Um, I think that's that's a really good piece of advice that I could give, and so that's something that I kind of have kind of learned and as I, I've been along on my journey, so. Rolling, you know, thank you for, for, for explaining that. Thank you for talking us through that. I think it is important that a lot of times young people don't get to see, they don't get to experience and like, and so we go in, we make a lot of these decisions almost blindly. 
But here, you're, you, you come to this realization as a senior. And so did that have any impact, positive or negative, in terms of you know, getting ready to go off to college and now all of a sudden there's maybe a little bit of doubt or, or maybe there's some certainty. What was it that was going through your mind as you're getting ready to make that decision and having to decide like, okay, now what am I going to do as a major? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I could say it was definitely nerve wracking because I know being a senior going into college, it's like, you feel like you already have to have your whole plan laid out. You have to have exactly what your major is going to be, what you're going to do during college and after and so that was kind of the emotions and the feelings that I was going through when I had gone through almost like half of my life thinking that I wanted to be a veterinarian and then now learning that that was going to change. So, yeah, that was definitely something I had to deal with. And I think that's one thing that I really learned early on and kind of everyone that I would talk to about it would kind of share the same things with me is like, you know, college is, is a time for you to figure that stuff out. You know, you're not supposed to go into college already having all figured it out and knowing exactly what you want to do and what you want to pursue. And oftentimes it can feel like that, right? Because they, they talk about college as, as a, uh, like a big thing that you, you're going to accomplish in your life. And it's a big commitment, a big investment. But I think that's that's the, the beauty about college is that you really get to find yourself, find your passion, your people, and, and always know that there's always uh, a chance for you to change your major too at any point, anytime you want. Um, and that's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to, to doubt. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's really what college is about is really truly finding yourself and, and what your passion is and what you see yourself doing in the, in the long term. Yeah, I appreciate you, you saying that and kind of framing, giving us that framing, because I think, I think you're absolutely right. right? You, get, you get to go and you do get to explore some more and you can always change your major and, and, and it's about that experience and learning more. So thank you for, for providing that. Um, where would, where did you decide to go to college? So, yeah, I went to uh, Texas A&M and College Station. So that was early on when I was young. That was already kind of a decision made when I was like 10, 11 years old. <laughs> um, so that was kind of part of the family tradition. So, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was it was a really great experience. Honestly, I, I I'm so grateful to be to have gone to that college and be an alumni of that college. Uh, obviously, for me, I'm biased, but I, we always say that it's the best college in the world. Um, but again, that's why I like it too, because I feel like there's we we have a really prideful alumni uh, group, and and it's one of those things where Aggies help Aggies, right? They they're always looking out how to help other people that have that are part of that uh, alumni network, and so that that was a big selling point for me too, is that that sense of family, that sense of culture and tradition. So yeah, that's that's where I I decided to go for my higher ed undergrad. So so you know A and M already kind of made that decision early that's where you wanted to go was um for a lot of for a lot of a lot of folks when uh you know especially if they come from a small town and then you got to go and a and is not a little college yep. right how many how many students at a and m about four forty thousand i want to say okay. yeah <laughs> that's the second was, uh, Student body in the nation under oh wow under University of Central Florida I think has the largest one so wow. it's huge yeah it's huge was that transition difficult for you yes absolutely and and I know you're from Elsa too so you know how that hometown hometown vibe is so and I'm sure you you experienced it too going to Stanford and so that that transition was definitely difficult it was definitely something that took a lot of adjustment from me on my end but I think what really really helped me is 
learning that one valley people are everywhere <laughs> you can find people from the valley in all places and somehow we always end up just finding each other by by like circumstances or so that's really when i first got into my dorm my first day ever i i ran into someone from harlingen and i went there knowing only probably like five or six people from my high school that went to AM. But we were all spread out all over campus. We we're all in different dorms. So that's why I was just trying to meet anyone I could. And it just so happened that the first person, the first friend I made was from Harlingen. He ended up introducing me to his whole floor on my, my same dorm that were all from the Valley and they were all uh, part of the scholarship program from the Valley. So that's where I was really able to like find my place and find my community. And I really kind of stuck to my Valley peeps and my, my community of people that I knew but also try to be sure to expand my horizons and meet other people from different organizations. But if that was one key takeaway that I could give is to really try to find your tribe once you get to these big places, because regardless how big or how small the, the institution is, there's always going to be people that you can relate to, that you can um, befriend and and kind of help and be that support system throughout college. But, but yeah, it was definitely a transition to go from a town of 8,000 people to a college of 40,000 plus. So, <laughs> I love that. And I, and I love the advice that you give to, to find your tribe, right? Because I think, I think you're absolutely right. Wherever you go, there are going to be some like-minded people. There are going to be some folks that you can connect with. And unfortunately for you, you were able to find some other pe- uh, people from the Rio Grande Valley. So, so that's awesome. You were telling us that, you know, as a senior, you realized, okay, I don't want to be a veterinarian anymore. What did you decide to major in while at AM? Yeah, absolutely. So my actually my first choice in, in of major was business and my second choice is political science. Unfortunately didn't make it into the business school as it's a really prestigious school, but my I got my second choice of political science. So I always knew I had a knack and a and a inclination towards politics, towards business, through like my family and other other means, I was able to really realize the type of impact um, that po- politics can have on, on on a large community at one time, um, and always knew that I wanted to do some kind of community work um, and give back to the community and just help as much as I could feed a community that helped elevate me to where I'm at now. So that's where I, I grew my inclination towards political science, and it was actually really interesting because I started my political science and journey in 2016 during a, a crazy election year and went through the whole four years of that presidency. So it was really, really insightful and just to be at the institution that I was as well, too. But it, it helped me realize that you kind of had to see both sides of the story and see where both sides are coming from to be able to institute change and to to learn um, about what others experiences are and their beliefs. So, yeah, that's what I ended up deciding to to major in with the long term goal of going to law school. And that's still kind of on the back of my mind. Just just turned 26, so the the clock is ticking. But but definitely want uh, want to eventually explore that opportunity. But um, I think kind of where I'm at right now in my career journey too. I'm I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now, and kind of see myself going further and being able to give back to the community in a different way that doesn't really involve politics, but that I'm still able to kind of have that impact on on the local community. So, wow, yeah, I I love that. And uh, it's funny you said that right. The clock's ticking for law school. And I think I think you got plenty of time. <laughs> you got you got plenty of time, really. Don't you know, don't worry. Yeah, about for it. sure. Um, so you know, you here you are. You're at A and M. You're doing political science. You're thinking long term. I want to go to law school. 
And I imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I remember being in college and feeling like it seemed like everybody around me had it figured out in terms of what's next, right? I'm going to graduate and then what's next for me. What were you thinking about? I know long-term, you know, you were thinking law school, but right after college, what is it that you were thinking about doing or interested in doing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it's definitely something that I, I kind of struggled with too, because I had a lot of friends that were in the engineering programs and business programs and, you know, um, biomedical science that were pursuing these very technical careers that had a clear path, you know, uh, after college, they would have to go to medical school or law school, or they were going to be engineers because they already had some internships under their belt. And me as a, a political science major is more of an arts based, you know, some very much more less technical, didn't really have a clear path. I mean, even if now, now, even if you Google political science jobs, it's very ambiguous, it's very broad. But I think that's another beauty of, of that degree, too, is that you have that opportunity to chase different avenues throughout that. But I, I honestly was and, and I have had some friends, too, that were nervous about it, too. Once graduation was coming around the corner, they were just kind of sitting and having conversations like we really didn't know what was next. Right. Because your whole life you grew up just being told you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to college. But then after that, it's like, OK, what now? <laughs> right. And so I think the best thing to do in those kind of situations is to be very much open minded on different opportunities that are available and just really network and put yourself out there to learn about the different ways that you can utilize your degree and and use your skill set and the knowledge that you gain during college. And and again, just don't be afraid to have those feelings. You know, those feelings are valid where you might not have everything figured out and come graduation day. You know, I still didn't even know exactly what my job was going to be post-graduation on graduation day. So that's very normal. It's very natural. And I think it's just, again, better to be open-minded um, and open to any opportunities that come your way. Because again, like I can keep mentioning, I think I'm a firm believer in everything is uh, happens for a reason and is meant to be. So yeah, I was definitely a little nerve-wracking once graduation was coming around. And I actually didn't find a job until about three months after graduation. So so it's it's definitely something that's that a lot of college students struggle with. And but again, I think the best thing is to be open minded for sure. And I love that. Um, not that you struggle. Right. But that you're very open and honest about. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right. For I, I well, I love how you said, right, we we encourage students and maybe there is a little bit of pressure about a college, college, college. But then very little guidance and conversation about. And then what? Yep. And then what do we do next? And how do I transition right into uh, quote unquote adulthood, right? You mentioned something that was really interesting. And it's something that I that I see with students that I work with. I see even with with, you know, some of my nieces is they struggle to network. Mm. But you talked about the importance of networking. Yep. Imagine you've got to go back and you're talking to, you know, well, even, even here with my listeners, if there are young people who are hesitant, who are reluctant to do that kind of work, to do the networking, what advice would you give them? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a, that's a great point. And it's one thing that I've grown to realize how important your network is. And, you know, you hear a lot of times that your network is your net, your net worth really, because um, that's your support system. That's where you're gonna be able to find your opportunities. So that's one big piece of advice that I would give is just network as much as you can. But for those that are a little reluctant on, on that and are a little hesitant on being exposed and being in those social environments. Definitely something I, I deal with and I still deal with to this day is that that social anxiety, you know, especially during 
the COVID period where we're virtual, you know, that thing kind of, it could kind of mess up that social anxiety um, and bring it, bring it on. But um, I think one thing that you could, that students could do when they're a little bit more reluctant towards networking is try to align your networking and your, what organizations you're involved with, with your personal passions. So I think like finding those organizations, like if you're Hispanic or Latino, like I was part of LULAC in, in college as well too, and, and um, the Hispanic Student Association. So things like that, where you, you would feel more comfortable and going to those events and being around people that look like you, that are from same areas as you, I think that's key and, and, and um, being more comfortable with your, with your networking skills. That's really how I started and how I started learning how to just have small talk and get to know people. And it, it just was a lot easier in those kind of environments when, you know, I had, I would meet people that were either from Laredo or from the Valley or El Paso or, and we still could kind of relate to each other, even though we weren't exactly from the same geographical region, but there's still that relation of like Mexican-American or Hispanic, Latino. And that's, I think that's really key. And that's really where you help, again, find your tribe too, as well too. So I would say just to align with those opportunities and those organizations that align with your passions and what, what you recognize as yourself. So that's really what, what helps me in, in that networking piece. But again, I would highly recommend just to do that as much as you can, get as involved as you can, and just really meet as many people as you can. Because at the end of the day, that's what college is about, experiences, right? but also letting you meet other people who are going to go and do great things after graduation. You know, college is expensive. It's an investment. And it's not all about your courses, not all about you, the material that you learn. It's about the people that you meet, the connections you make, um, the experiences you have that teach you things, you know. So I would say just embrace those as much as you can um, while you're while in those four years that you're on, on campus. Thank you. I think that's a, that's great advice, right? Uh, and absolutely, right, aligning aligning um, your values and the organizations and, and making connections through those through involvement. I think that's that's great advice. No, really, I didn't ask you. You're at AM, you're political science, you're thinking long-term law school, you're getting ready for that transition for, for after college. Were there any expectations placed on you from family that you you should do this or or you should have this this find this kind of job? Was there ever any pressure like that? Yeah, I mean, um, of course, I think kind of everyone kind of faces those kind of expectations, you know, but I think I've come from a family that's, you know, very open, open minded when it comes to like what I'm passionate about and what I kind of want to pursue. And I think at the end of the day, you know, your family just really wants to see you just graduate college and get that degree. Um, And I think, you know, there was some sense of expectations, you know, to actually make use of your degree um, because it was an investment. It did take a lot of time and work and effort to to get to where you're at now. So I think a bit of, of that expectation is healthy in a way to kind of help motivate you into, um, you know, just being your best self and trying to be a high achiever. But also don't don't let it overshadow what your personal passions are, too, and what you see yourself doing, too, you know, because I think at the end of the day, your parents are going to be proud of you regardless of what you decide to do or your family is going to be, be proud of you regardless. And I think, you know, everyone has their own opportunities, their own skill set that they can use in a, in a good way to help them achieve that. But yeah, I think to a certain extent, to a certain degree, you know, like I mentioned in the early on in the podcast that my family has always been involved in education um, and have always, you know, seen that as, as kind of the way out, you know, and for lack of a better term, but so I, there was definitely that expectation, but 
but yeah, I think hopefully I'm, I'm making them proud. So I have no doubt. I have no doubt that you are. Thank um, you. Yeah. You mentioned that after college, it took you about three months mm-hmm. to find your job, that first job. What is it that you are doing? Yeah. So um, within those three months, you know, I was really much on the, on the job hunt, on the job search, using my network. Um, I'd gotten really close to one of my political science professors who had, had just gotten tapped to be part of a new team. The office of the president at AM was uh, starting to, uh, was going to be a whole office dedicated to inclusion and diversity within the office of admissions, but under recruitment. So I always knew that, you know, I, I always supported and, and knew the importance of diversity and inclusion in both workplace and community. Um, and so I kind of got a taste of that in my high school as well, too, where I had, you know, going from a, a high school or a school district that was about 99% Hispanic to a high school that had a lot of different cultures. And that's where I was exposed to that. So that's where I knew that I kind of had a knack for that or a passion for that. Kind of when I was reading the job description, I was like, wow, this aligns perfectly. And it was a entry level position. So, but again, I kind of was introduced to that through my professor. Um, And so she kind of recommended me uh, for that position. So my title was program coordinator for diversity initiatives and inclusion. So basically my job was to develop and uh, roll out these programs that brought underrepresented students that were high achieving students. So they were already top 10% auto admits that we were trying to get them to, to um, commit to Texas A&M, but at the same time, trying to make them realize that they had a spot and a place at A&M and that they belong there. And, and so we would roll out the red carpet for them. We would give them a tour of the whole campus, tour of our facilities, of the dorms. They met with financial aid, with some of their college representatives, with the end all goal of trying to, to get them to commit to AM. And so as a student of AM, I knew that that was a problem that, that the, the college was facing and that that was probably needed way, way before I, I came on, you know, but um, I was just grateful to be in that position and be able to make that, that kind of impact. And it was awesome just to be able to see, you know, kids from the Valley come up and and see someone like me in that position and someone like me that had gone through the, the institution, gone through college. And I was kind of able to share my story there, too. But that's kind of where I began my journey in, in DEI and where I really learned that I had a passion and a knack for it and and realized the type of impact that it can have on on students and and uh, people as well, too. That's um, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. But I imagine. You know, as as you're reflecting and walking us back through your journey, this work, the work that you're that you're doing, that 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 you've found a passion for, this was stuff that was never on your radar, was it? Never, no, never. (laughs) Yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning, I mean, I went from veterinarian to you know now working towards like community impact and inclusion. That was definitely nothing I even I even knew was was you know a job or a a profession, Um, and so. That's why I was like really iterating the importance of being open-minded, you know, because there's so many things that you don't know, you know, and that's one thing that we always say students don't know what they don't know. Um, and they they don't know what's out there. They don't know the opportunities. They don't know the different avenues that they can take with their degree. Um, and so, so yeah, this is definitely nothing on my radar. And, and again, like I mentioned, I, I'm sure other people on your podcast have felt the same way too, you know. It's like one of those things where, life just takes you in different directions and if it's meant to be it's meant to be so um but yeah i'm, I'm really happy where i'm at now and i'm very fulfilled in, in the work that i do what does it feel like and you've, you've expressed right how fulfilling it is mm-hmm. what is it what does it feel like for you to be able to 
you know, you talked earlier about the transition and it was a, a difficult transition, but to be in a position to create a welcoming space for students, did that feel like for you? Yeah, no, honestly, you know, some people talk about the imposter syndrome, you know, where it's like, I don't feel like I should have this kind of platform or I should have this kind of opportunity for impact. But, and again, to my my point, I felt like my position should have been something that was there way before I, I came on there. Um, but again, I was just very grateful to be in that position. And I always thought, you know, if not me, then who? And who who better than me as, as someone who's from an underrepresented community who has different, you know, intersectionalities about them that are not very accepted by other people um, to be able to provide that, that firsthand experience, but also use that firsthand experience in a way to be able to provide and um, kind of develop that inclusive environment. Um, and I, I, I just felt very grateful to be able to, to do that for students and to be able to show them, you know, that although A&M might not be looked at in the best light towards those from underrepresented communities, that there's still a place for you there and that you still belong there. You should still make yourself known and, um, and have as much impact as you can on any institution that you're involved in, any company, any organization. Um, so yeah, I was definitely, definitely kind of uh, nerve wracking as well too, that having that kind of sense of responsibility. Um, but again, I was very fulfilled and, and, seeing all the students grow up and now some of them are graduating too that I helped recruit um, and they're off and doing amazing things. And it just, it feels really good, you know, to, to see that and to know that you kind of had a little bit of an impact on them and, and kind of steered them in that direction. Um, and, you know, my mom works in, in college counseling as well too. So she always talks about her students often doing amazing things and going to Ivy leagues and things like that. So I think it's very, very fulfilling work, but it's very impactful too. And, and, um, but I also think that the right people have to be doing the work, you know? So um, that's why I, I always say, you know, if not me, then who? And it definitely takes a village to do this type of work. So I'm sure you know as well too, but, um, but yeah, so it was, it was very fulfilling to say the least. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you were in that position and I'm glad you were able to, to, to welcome students. And, and like you said, it, it you know, A&M may have, you know, isn't always considered or viewed in a particular light, you know, in terms of, of being a welcoming place for everybody. And and so for you to be able to do that and provide that for students, I think really speaks to, one, I think the hopefully the institution's commitment, but also to you and, and who you are and, and what you value. So congratulations on that work and, and on finding your way there, I think is really yeah. important. Absolutely. After, um, what came after AM? Um, or after this work? Yeah, yeah. So um, after AM, I kind of realized that, you know, I started getting more of a realization of, of how big DEI was. I started doing more research. I started following different pages on LinkedIn and different people on LinkedIn and started learning more about the impact that DEI can have in a corporate environment, um, but using that corporate environment to impact the community at the same time. Um, so I started beginning looking and, and um, looking for other diversity and inclusion kind of professions and uh, careers. And I found an opportunity with the National Diversity Council. Um, so they are a nonprofit that kind of focuses on uh, helping Fortune 1000 companies develop their DEI internally. Um, so we would provide consulting, we provided resources, um, and we would do all different aspects that would help promote DEI within the workplace. But my specific job within the organization was a vet programmer. 
So I was in charge of developing these large 400, 500 people conferences and summits throughout the state and also organized one in Mexico City. But at the end, the, the end our goal was to bring all of our partners and these Fortune 1000 companies together to have these dynamic discussions and these conversations around different topics of DEI um, and different ways to implement them in their in their companies. And that's where I really, really understood, you know, the impact that it can have um, on these corporations and their their workforce, but on also like the, the community impact aspect as well, too. And so that's where I really, really learned a lot about the corporate DEI environment and just was really affirmed that this was my my place and like kind of what my passion was just helping corporations in that sense. So that's where I ended up after AM and now still kind of doing similar work as well too. So wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Um you know to to grow up to go from one program right at the institution and then really this nat almost national working with these large corporations and wow that's that's awesome. Yeah, How long did you do that for? I was there for two years. Um, mm-hmm. So I did that for two years. I was based in San Antonio, but we had chapters in almost every state. Um, and then again, like I mentioned, we also did some programming in Mexico City. Um, they did some programming in London and Hawaii. Uh, so it, it was a really growing corporation. It's still growing as well, too. But my focus was on our markets here in, in Texas and in Mexico. Um, so I was able really to, to grow my network too through that as well and meet a lot of great people that were doing similar work that had same passions. And so that was, I was really grateful for that opportunity and, and grateful to be, be in that position such early on in my career and, and just learn a lot from it too, you know? And that, I think that's the best part of, of going from different professions that you get to learn a lot in whatever different field you're in, different profession or different, you know, different departments and, and things like that. So it was, it was very, very beneficial for me. My, my wow. career. You said you were there for two years, mm-hmm. right? And so I think a lot of people always want to know, right? Cause, and you're not the first guest. I, a lot of my, most of my guests have transitioned into other, maybe not other, other careers or other fields, but certainly like different companies and things like that. And it sounds like this, like, this was a like you said it's growing continues to grow sounds like it was a great opportunity but you left correct yeah what happened why did why why did you leave yeah no i think that's you know it's one thing that's kind of um how do i say i'm just like trying to look for the right word it's kind of something that people don't really like to talk about as um kind of a taboo subject right where it's like I, I just felt like I didn't really have that much opportunity for growth staying in that, in that position, you know, and I was, I was very comfortable and I, I didn't want to become complacent in that position. And so that's when I started beginning looking at other different opportunities and, and different ways that I could be doing similar work in other organizations. I think that was really the main thing for me is that I just didn't really see myself there long term um, solely because I just didn't really see many opportunities for growth. But and again, again, it's not a bad thing. And it's something that a lot of people um, face in different corporations, different organizations. And, you know, sometimes the best way to grow is just to move on to a different profession. Right. So so that's really where the reason why I decided to kind of look for for different opportunities. You know, and I, I appreciate you talking about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes we do get complacent. Sometimes we're like, you know, and especially like I think depending on on how you grow up and and your parents' sort of occupation, 
parents seeing their children get like a job with with a large company work with the opportunity to work like sort of around globally and and doing the amazing things you're doing they might criticize you and say why but why do you leave right and so it it takes a certain amount of courage i think to Uh to be able to say look i i i have aspirations and i want to grow i want to be able to be with a company where i can grow i can see myself contributing more it sounds like for you that was also very important the opportunity to contribute more yes so you make this decision and what's next what was next for you yeah so that's when i really decided to start looking at other opportunities and i'll I'll just do a shameless plug but linkedin is is the great the greatest platform social media platform that you can use (laughs) i honestly stay on linkedin probably more than any other platform well, mine is TikTok, right? But <laughs> but other than TikTok, I think LinkedIn is where I use most of my time. But uh, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a great platform. So if that's one piece of advice that I would also give to any listeners is really start building your LinkedIn early on. Even if you're a student, don't worry about putting student at whatever college you're at in your bio, right? But just working on that network is where, um, you know, back then they used to have Rolodexes where people had all their net, their network and connections on contact cards, but now it's a LinkedIn, right? Now it's, um, that's how we communicate. That's how professionals communicate. So that's really where I started doing my search. But funny enough, I didn't find my current job on LinkedIn. Actually, um, my current job was through my network. Actually, I, I got introduced to my current boss through a good friend of mine that's in the DEI field as well, too. And so I think, again, going back to the piece of networking, that's really where where uh, it comes into play when you're in those situations where you want to look for other opportunities, you don't know what's out there until you start tapping into your network and and letting them know that you're on the hunt and uh, that you're on the job search. And so just a quick story, I was to to give you some history on how I got to where I am right now, but I actually attended an event, a community event with my friend that I mentioned that I had met through work. And um, she's a, a, a director of DEI for a company here in San Antonio. And we were at an event um, and I I volunteer a lot with the LGBT Chamber of Commerce here in San Antonio as well, too. So uh, me and her were both tabling the event. And so I see this lady come up and she was wearing a a Spurs shirt and she comes up to to talk to my my friend and they're they're chatting it up and like seemed like they were like friends from a long time, like childhood friends. Right. And so I was like, oh, it's, it's just one of her friends, you know, probably from school or something. And then so I noticed that the conversation started getting a little more serious and they're kind of a little bit more quieter and I couldn't really hear what they were talking about. And then out of nowhere, I just hear my friend go, Roly, come here. I have someone you want to meet. And so um, I just go there and she's like, well, this is um, so-and-so from this, this, the San Antonio Spurs. Um, she's looking for someone that has experience in inclusion and diversity to be part of their team. And I just let her know that you would be a great, uh, a great fit. And so we started, me and my future boss started talking there and just chatting it up and I gave her a kind of a background of my what my experience was. Um, and so she was like, yes, I'll put you through to our recruitment team and get you in through the process. And so four interviews later and a couple phone calls later and about three months of waiting <laughs> later, I finally got, got the opportunity and got the offer letter. So again, your network is really, really important. And, and that's um, really what's going to help you elevate um, your career in, in the long term. So that's that's kind of a funny story, too, as well. Wow. Yeah. And and you want to take care of that network, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, sure. um, so you're with the Spurs. Yes. The San Antonio Spurs, right? And that's a 
that's a pretty prominent organization. Yeah. Um, so tell, what is your role now with the San Antonio Spurs? Sure. sure. Yeah. My my role currently is inclusion programs manager. So basically, my role is to help drive all of our internal DEI efforts. So we have various different initiatives that help you know uh, establish that sense of belonging, that sense of inclusion within the workplace. So I kind of work almost as an internal consultant to various different departments of the organization. So it can be employee experience, people in onboarding, uh, marketing, communications, basketball operations. So I kind of bring my expertise and my knowledge of DEI to these different meetings when they're talking about different initiatives or different things that they're working on that I kind of bring in that light of where we're always trying to stay aligned to our value of belonging. So we have three different values that we we work off is access, healing, and belonging. So those are the kind of three pillars that I like to focus my work on. And so again, I'm still kind of in that inclusion space, a DEI space, but now going from a nonprofit environment to a corporate environment was a huge change and a, and a big corporation at that. But I mean, one thing that I've realized at this, the San Antonio Spurs is that they take this work very seriously. They're one of the the top NBA teams that do community impact work. We're, we're the only NBA team that has a chief impact officer that's solely focused on community impact and belonging efforts as well, too. So that's where I feel like I'm a part of a great organization where I can really expand my horizons, you know, stretch my wings and 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 be able to do a lot more in this position than my prior one. So that's, again, that's where I go back to where I, I feel like I can have growth opportunities within that organization. So yeah, that kind of gives it in a nutshell. There's obviously various different things that go into it, but kind of a broader description of, of my role with the Spurs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. You. It sounds like absolutely everything that you've shared right? The, the growing that you've done, the learning that you've done, your ability to contribute in this space. I think it sounds like all of that work prepared has prepared you for the work that you're doing now. And it sounds like this work that you're doing now, uh, and please feel free to correct me, is exactly what you're looking for, right? Yeah. That space where you could grow and, um, and grow within this capacity and continue to con- contribute and do meaningful work. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, no, absolutely. You hit it on on the, on the nail for sure. And that's when I, you know, when I first, and it was a funny thing that my my job wasn't posted anywhere. It wasn't on LinkedIn. It wasn't on Indeed. It was one of those things where they were kind of trying to look within their own internal network or with people that they knew. So when she first sent me the description, you know, the, the job description, I was just reading through it. And, you know, I just, I remember sitting in this exact same spot right here and reading it and just getting chills, you know, because I was like, wow, I just didn't, realize that, you know, these kind of organizations, like who would have thought, you know, an NBA team does so much community work, you know, and, and that I was just realizing, you know, that that's, you know, that's the beauty of, of that, of your career path is that you get to find these different opportunities that, you know, you might be in a, in a, in a spot right now where you don't really feel like you, you could be your best self, but there's always opportunity for growth. There's always opportunities to do something else and opportunities for you to, to be your best self in a different environment. And so, so yeah, I was definitely, you know, definitely something that exactly what I was looking for. Um, a lot of fulfilling work too, because I do do a lot of work with the community um, and I'm able to go to like community events and network with community members and stuff. So it's, it's definitely, you know, exactly in my wheelhouse, exactly what I want to do. And, and I'm exactly where I see myself growing for, for a long term and, and staying with them. So 
um, definitely going to be staying staying here for for a while for sure. So, Roly, you know, one congratulations on all of this and on your journey. I have a feeling we're going to have to check back in maybe in a couple of years and, yes, and, yeah. and get an up get an update. But Absolutely. you know, as we transition out, because I want to be mindful of your time. I know you're very busy. Sure. As we transition out. If um, you talked about, you know, and maybe it's it's an extension of what you're already saying about being your best self, right, and in, in different spaces. If you wanted to give advice to somebody who is trying to find that perfect career, or that that or their their job right after college, um, what advice would you give them? Yeah. No, that's a great question. You know, that's that's one thing that I was kind of thinking about too as I was preparing for for this conversation is like, what is one big takeaway that I want, you know, the viewers to hear and um, and to take away from from our conversation, you know? And so, I think one of the one of the things that that's really stuck with me and that I've kind of lived by is even though you you might not feel like you're in the right spot or in the right place currently, just give it your all in whatever you do. You know, give it your hundred percent be that example towards other people in the organization where um, they see you and they, and they see you in that certain light where you're an overachiever, you're that go-getter, the self-starter. Um, so that's that's pretty pretty much the biggest piece that I would say to, to take away is no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, you know, even if you're unhappy, it might be hard to give it your all, but um, giving it your all might look different for, for different people, right? And so um, that's probably the biggest, the biggest key takeaway because that sense of work ethic is going to carry along and no matter what avenue you take, no matter what career path you go on. And if you continue to have that mentality and continue to have that at the back of your mind, it's just going to play out in your day to day. It's going to play out naturally and it's going to come naturally to you. And so that's what I would, I would say, just to give it your all, no matter what you're doing. If you're in school right now, if you're on the job hunt, give it your all too. Cause Sometimes being on the job hunt is like having a full-time job also, especially in, in today's today's world. But um, but yeah, I think that's just give it your hundred percent and and everything you do and and be that example and um and, and just again, just give it your all. That's what I would say. I love that. I love that. Roly, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your story. I um I wish you continued luck. And, and success on your work and on your journey and and uh you know i i think you're you're absolutely right i, I know um your family is very proud of you um and they should be proud of the work that you're doing and uh and a&m should be proud of you because i think you're you you know uh, uh, a great example right of of what it means to give back and to and to create a sense of belonging for others and and to uh to excel in in your particular field so congratulations to you congratulations to them and uh and thank you thank you again uh, and, and and the the things is mutual jay and and, and i'm going to continue to keep updated and keep in in touch too with your with your guests that you have i know you've had a slew of other more interesting people than me um, <laughs> <laughs> so definitely you're just as interesting man you're just as interesting <laughs> yeah um but again no thank you i know it's it's probably like I, I really haven't seen any other podcasts like this from the valley that's really highlighting these different stories um so just thank you for putting in this effort and 
you know, I'm, uh, I'm sure you get a lot from it too, as well, a lot of fulfillment. So um, it's, it's just awesome to see you doing this and giving us Valley people a platform like this too. So I really, really appreciate it. I think this concludes uh, another episode of the way to college podcast. Thank you to our guests today. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers out there and, um, you know, continue to subscribe, rate, follow, and uh, be sure to share the podcast with one other person. I'm sure there's somebody in your network, somebody in your family who, uh, who I think would benefit or you think could benefit from the podcast. Um, please share it and, uh, and we'll be in touch and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. And bye-bye.